0: hey everybody welcome back to the Red orange blue podcast I am your host as always the Max and today we've got a pretty big episode for you guys today we are going to be talking about the Red Wings week so far, uh, I am recording this before the Chicago game, so you guys will know the results by the time this is out, or before, actually, you probably won't even know the results before this is out, um, but yeah, just a preface for that, so that'll be talked about in the next uh, next week's episode, but, so we're going to be talking about this week's game so far, that being Seattle, Colorado, St. Louis, very fun way, week for the, the Red Wings, uh, then we're going to be getting into, once again, the playoff pictures uh, Beargren's, the trade rumors around Bergeron. that mill spinning as fast as fucking possible. Again, uh, we will get into our prospect report, which is going to be on Trey Augustine this week. And then we've got some lions and tigers news to cover. So, uh, we are going to get right into it with the game, uh, the Red Wings versus the Seattle Kraken. This was a game. Um, that's really all I can say about it. Because it's not like it was an incredible game. It was a game of two teams that are built pretty similarly going back and forth. And that was about it. Um, So essentially, this game went in the first period. Cider scored from a beautiful feed off Kane. So it was weird because Cider went down the tunnel. We don't know what it was for. It was either equipment or maybe something stung or something like that from a shot. Uh, but, yeah, he went down the tunnel, and right as he came back out of the tunnel, right onto the ice, Kane got it to the point. He put his whole body into that shot, and he scores to get his seventh of the season, tying his, I believe it's tying his career high-end goals from his rookie season. Uh, that was assisted by Kane and Debrinket. Uh, but then Jaron McCann scores in the second period, not too long after that. It's tied 1-1 as we go into the, into the second Second period comes up seven minutes in. Lucas Raymond scores his 16th of the season. Raymond's been fantastic lately uh, from Comfort and Petrie. Then McCann scores his second of the game, I think like three minutes after that. Uh, then Sprong gets one against his old team from Fisher. That was also a really good play. Uh, Fisher just passed it to Sprong right from, if I'm remembering this correctly at least, Fisher passes to Sprong from the slot to the side of the net. Sprong makes no fucking issue burying that past them um, uh and so going into the third it's 3 to 2 Detroit uh, third period 725 into the period uh J Jordan J uh, Schwartz I don't know his first name Schwartz gets uh get, ties the game up unfortunately but it was a good play and uh we're going to overtime so overtime comes and this is this confused me because overtime came, Olimata took one of the dumbest penalties I think I've ever seen in the entire history of the Red Wings. Probably not, I'm probably over-exaggerating, but still, Olimata had a rough game. But he took a penalty that shouldn't have been taken, and Seattle goes in the power play for the last like minute and a half, I think, right around there of the third period. So going into the overtime, it was gonna be 4v3, and Detroit successfully kills that penalty off. But go but then that means it's gonna be four and four until the next whistle. And it remains four and four for the rest of the overtime because Detroit goes for a line change. Larkin and Raymond are skating the puck into the Kraken zone. And out of fucking nowhere, I don't know what he was doing on the ice, I don't know why he was on the ice. Ben fucking Sherratt comes out. Larkin sees him wide open in the slot, gets it to him. Sherratt makes no mistake, buries the fucking thing. Boom, Detroit wins the game in overtime. This is actually their first time ever beating Seattle, which is wild. But regardless, what the fuck was Sherratt doing out in overtime? I mean, bold move because, I mean, it's foreign. I know why he was out on the ice. Four on four hockey isn't the same as three on three. So you're going to want to have you you have the option to have two defensemen out there and two forwards. you're gonna go with an actual defensive pairing other than you know what other than just straight offense. So if you were to go straight offense, then you would have after cider and wallman went off because they were on the penalty kill, you would have had, uh, Petrie and Ghost to Spare if you wanted to go full offense. Uh, that's where, that's who you, you would likely put out for overtime in that situation. But if you're going for more well-rounded overtime, then Shrot Petrie makes more sense in that aspect. I'm just incredibly amazed that Shrot not only managed to get out in overtime, but he also managed to get himself open in the slot in overtime. Now, Ben Shrot plays the perfect style of hockey for overtime, mind you. Um, Do I think he should be in overtime all the time? No. Well, we'll get to that. Um, But he plays a very good style of hockey for OT because OT is very... What you would like for OT to be is aggressive, aggressive, aggressive. Unfortunately, now a lot of days, it's been fucking strategized to death, so you just get passive, 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 wait for the perfect moment so you don't give up the puck, passive, passive, passive. It's, It's not fun. But when you... Want to, when you're going for the win, Sherrod's style of hockey is perfect. It's very aggressive, and he has no problem jumping into a play to go down the ice 200 feet, get open, make room, whatever he needs to do. So it is a genius, big brain move from aland I gotta say. Uh, but nonetheless, he gets the game winner, beautiful goal, beautiful pet, beautiful feed from Larkin, and That was a Seattle game. Nothing else really to cover in the Seattle game because nothing else happened. So let's go into one where somehow more happened. Uh, Colorado. Um, This was a home game for Detroit. And Detroit went into this game not having beat Colorado since 2017. Which, if you guys don't know, is the year after the last year Detroit ever made the playoffs. So it is a game to watch. And a lot of people thought that this was going to be... Because you had two of the highest-scoring teams in the entire league. Still weird to say about that about Detroit, but regardless, two of the highest-scoring teams in the league in Colorado and Detroit going against each other, you would expect it to be a high-scoring affair, if not a very high-chance affair. And it it was, for the most part. Um, You wouldn't know based off of puck possession, because I think Colorado had more of the puck possession the entire game. But regardless... Uh, this looking at it from afar, just looking at the teams, you would think that it would be a very high scoring, high chance game from both sides. And then you look at the goaltending and you say it's Alex Lyon versus who was the goalie's name? I can't remember his name. It is like Adnan, Adnom, Ed, I can't remember his name for the life of me, nor could I probably pronounce it, but he's a rookie goaltender. Um, he didn't get, he didn't get much of a chance to play this season because, uh, Gorgiev has taken the net entirely and is predicted to play like 60 fucking games this season or something like that. So yeah, it's, it, you look at that and you think, all right, Detroit is one of the highest scoring teams in the league uh, as is Colorado, obviously, but the level in goaltending is clearly on Detroit's side. Um... But this kid made some saves. He robbed a lot of good chances and likely goals for Detroit. Uh, I think he even he robbed DeBrinket once or twice. Uh, he robbed Raymond a few times. He robbed Larkin once. Like it was, he played pretty good for what he had to face. Uh, so this was supposed to be a very fun. High scoring, likely high scoring, high danger chance game. Instead, what we got was Nathan McKinnon running around doing his fucking thing the entire time and his team doing absolutely nothing to help him. Uh, So how this game went was there was nothing in the first. Detroit was basically on their heels most of the first period. They were defending a lot of the first period. Uh, but then the second period comes in four minutes of 48 seconds into the period. Nathan McKinnon does what Nathan McKinnon does, and he beats Petrie outright, just powers through him. Petrie doesn't stand a fucking chance and just buries it on Lyon. And Lyon really let Petrie and Sherrod, I think, have it, even though Sherrod did all he could. He cleared the front of the net. Um, but Petrie did kind of miss his assignment there, like... He chased McKinnon, and if you're chasing McKinnon, you're not going to win that fight. So it was pretty. It was more on Petrie than anybody else, but Petrie had a lot of good saves. There was one point where the puck came out in front of the net. Line didn't know where it was. Petrie seen it, and he was able to clear it. Like Petrie made two or three good moves to keep the puck out of the Red Wings' net. That if he didn't, Detroit would have never come out with at least with even a point in this game. So. I'll give that to Petrie. Kudos where kudos is due. Uh, but third period comes along, and the captain, Dylan Larkin, at 12.02, ties it up with a beautiful bank shot. Not bank shot, but like it was a good goal. It was, it was nice. It was a Larkin goal through and through. Um, and that was from Perron and Ghost to spare. Larkin gets his 25th of the season. And then in overtime, the overtime. And this is where I'm talking about Ben Sherad even more. Because I said in this game against Seattle, what the fuck was Sherrod doing out in OT? And then I said his style can really complements uh, overtime really well. It's very aggressive, and he's been very good defensively. So you can't. You, what's the you can't really go wrong with it too much. And so when they threw out, lar- I don't know if it was a line change that wiggled things around. It couldn't have been because they were out on the ice just playing things. Regardless. Larkin, Kane, and Sherratt are out there. Three minutes and 42 seconds into the OT. Kane takes it into Colorado zone. Does a spinorama. Loses the puck. Well, it could have been on purpose. I don't fucking know. It's Patrick Kane. And does a spinorama. The puck gets ends up on Schrott stick. Sherratt does the whole waterfall. Goes up to the top. Larkin picked up a shit ton of speed. goes. Sherratt drops it. Leaves it for Larkin. He picks up a lot of speed. Drawing McKinnon. And I don't even know who the other guy was. To him, leaving Patrick Kane completely wide open in front of the net. Larkin drops it back. No look back. Pass behind him to Patrick Kane. And Kane makes no mistake. One time slap, snapshot. Buries it. And boy, was that beautiful. And this is where I am going to say something that could be a bit of a hot take. Where I think Kane, Larkin, and Sherratt are an OT powerhouse. I do. It's... One of the it is a line combo that I it, it's almost like how Rasfish, Rasmussen Fisher and Cop had managed to be that good, you know. Uh, they that's a line that defies nature almost entirely. and it's incredible. Um Now, I'm not sure if that's ever going to happen again. But I would like to see it happen again. If I'm not be, if I'm being honest, like it is definitely a line combo that I never expected to actually work, especially in OT. I would have thought, you know, last year I would have thought you were math, you were royally fucking insane for putting Ben Sherrod out there in OT with with Patrick Kane and Dylan Larkin. I mean, I would have thought having Patrick Kane on our OT would be insane, regardless, because that's fact. Fucking Patrick Kane. And Detroit can never have anything nice. But regardless, it happened. I want to see it again. And I think they could generally, genuinely be an OT powerhouse. I do believe that. Uh, their their styles actually complement each other a lot. You've got Sherrod out there making room and just doing what he does. Then you got Larkin out there using his speed, drawing players to him. And then you've got Kane, the elusive puck handling playmaker who can get it onto somebody's stick or in the back of the net as he chooses. Like it is, it's actually a really good line combo now that I'm saying it out loud. Um, but some other notes from this game, Alex Lyon made some huge stops and saves. Uh, he played fantastically in this game, and it's what we've come to expect from him at this point. A lot of people are giving him shit in Seattle because he fell on the uh, tying goal in Seattle. But at the same time, that shit happens to every goalie. Like, tell me a goalie who has never once made a miscue that caused a goal or almost caused a goal or something of that nature. Like, it is, it's, you can't really, like, it's just something that happens. And thankfully, Lion has always been able to, it's like just letting water fall off your back, you know? You he's just let it roll off of him and just go with it, reset, and get back in the game. And that's, I think, what's been crucial to his gameplay this year. Um So, and then another thing I want to touch on, Nathan McKinnon's fucking stupid. Like, I'm a firm believer that if you have a player on your team whose last name is McDavid, McKinnon, or Matthews, you are only allowed... So come to the game with eleven with eleven skaters. That's my that's what I think. I do not think you should be allowed to have a full bench if you come to play a game with someone whose last name is McDavid, Matthews, or McKinnon. That's just not fair. It's not fair. It's not. It is not fair whatsoever. But that is just my two cents, and also me being an idiot, but also not. So, anyways. Getting into the next game, St. Louis. Wow. St. Louis just like didn't play. Um, yeah, this was a game that I going into it, I could see as being a clear trap game. St. Louis had been on a bit of a a slump, air quote slump. Uh, but they've always played Detroit hard. And I went into this game thinking this is going to be a solid game that Detroit's going to have to work their asses off to pull out a victory from. And lo and behold, uh St. Louis proved to everybody why they Deserve to not be in the playoffs. Um, yeah, they didn't show up to this game whatsoever. Uh, it was from the moment the whistle blew, it was all Detroit the entire game. Literally from when the whistle blew, 33 seconds in, Patrick Kane scores from Ghost into and Branket. And it's, it was, yeah, beautiful shot too by Kane, obviously. Then, Four minutes, 21 seconds into the game, Rasmussen gets it from a beautiful feed for, on a two-on-one from Raymond, and then you know Petrie got it to Raymond. Raymond-Rass break out for the two-on-one. Boom. Open, wide open net. Bennington didn't stand a fucking chance. Rasmussen gets his 13th of the season after signing his good... Contract. I cannot believe I have to stress this. I do not remember if I talked about this last episode because I don't know if this news was out last episode. But, yes, Rasmussen did sign a four-year contract for $3.2 million, and it is a good contract. I don't want anybody to say it's not a good contract because it is a good contract, especially with the salary cap going up at the end of this uh, next season and future seasons on and on. So, shut up. Uh, after that, fa- <laughs> sorry. After that, literally a minute after, Fabry gets one unassisted. It was a, uh, I believe it was a breakaway from, oh, I can't even remember who the breakaway was from. I want to say it was a cop breakaway, but I can't remember for the life of me. Uh, But it gets blocked, and then St. Louis, Bennington stops it. St. Louis tries to clear, shoots it right at Fabry, and Fabry just bounces off him. Fabry gets the goal. Um, then 19 and with 58 seconds left in the period to it on the power play gets his 20th of the season from cider and sprung, beautiful power play, by the way, too today. Um, and, uh, going into the second period, it is is four nothing Detroit, uh, second period, not much better for St. Louis now, granted, uh, Bulduck, Buldo, Baldo, I can't say his name. I'd probably not. Uh rookie, he gets his first NHL goal. Good for him. That was 12 minutes and 28 seconds into the period. But then the Red Wings spoil everything. And uh JT Confer gets his 14th of the season. Having a quietly good season. Uh, or not quietly good season, quietly good last few last stretch of games. We'll get into that. Uh, from Raymond and Rasmussen, Ra- uh, Raymond and Rasmussen both of the two point night tonight. These two look fucking amazing, by the way. Uh, and then DeBrinkett gets his second of the night, 21st of the season from Kane. Another beautiful feed from Kane. And that is all the goal scoring in this game because there was nothing in the third period, which kind of surprised me a bit. Uh, Bennington got pulled after the first, which was pretty obvious to me. Um. And it was it was a mercy pulling. You couldn't put any of those goals really on Bennington. the team in front of him just get, they gave up before it even started. Uh, so I mean if you want if you want even more proof, the shots on the shots on goal in this game were 34, 23 in favor of Detroit. first period 14 to eight Detroit, second period nine to five Detroit, third period 11 to ten Detroit. So. Yeah, St. Louis didn't show up to play, and if they did, it wasn't good play, and they just couldn't get anything going against Detroit. Um, But, yeah, that was the Red Wings' week. Uh, It was a very, very fun week. Detroit picked up six points out of six points this week, and they are looking like legit playoff teams. Now, do they look like Stanley Cup contenders? Well, that's yet to be seen. Anything's possible in the playoffs. I mean, just look at St. Louis in their cup run, but it is looking more and more like a Detroit is becoming a team that you would not really want to play in the first round because they will make you work for everything and potentially just murk you. Uh, so, yeah, it's looking pretty. Really good for Detroit. Uh, Their next games coming up next week are obviously you got today against Chicago, then you got Washington at home, uh, the Islanders at home, and Florida at home on Saturday. I will be at the Florida game, by the way. So big week for Detroit. A lot of Eastern Conference teams that they should be able to beat. Um, The biggest one will probably be Florida. That'll be the most. That'll be the most difficult one, in my opinion. Uh, But. At the same time, Washington's been playing pretty decently. The Islanders are the Islanders, so you don't know what the fuck you're going to get from them on any given night. And Chicago, Chicago. Uh, they could easily be a trap game, but at the same time, you got to be careful with them, too. Realistically, Chicago is only as good as Connor Bedard is on any given night, and Connor Bedard could be pretty fucking good. So, yeah. That's Trite's Week in Review. Uh, getting into some individual stories, uh, Patrick Kane, he has been... Ooh, he's been fantastic lately, hasn't he? In his last five games, he's got three goals, four assists, and seven points in total. And I just gotta say, where are the fucking haters at now? <laughs> like, there were so many people that were giving... Detroit, giving Eisenman and Detroit in general shit for signing Patrick Kane. And then he comes in during the abysmal December Detroit had when they were missing Perron for most of it. Uh, Larkin, Comfer, Sherratt uh, was out for a little while. No, he wasn't out for that stretch, but you were missing a lot of key guys. Uh, you were playing Reimer rhymer as your starting goaltender most of the time. So, it was like Reimer and Hutchinson were your two goaltenders. That's not a winning goaltending duo, but so that that's what that's what that's what people were using as ammo to go at Steve Eiserman and whatnot and say that the Patrick Kane signing was a mistake. It was awful. Like that Mike Gould guy or whatever said like he put out an article saying uh as he expected, the Patrick Kane signings worked out terribly for Detroit, and Kane has just proved done nothing but prove everybody wrong. Um, so seven points in his last five. He's at a point per game right now, and it's incredible, incredible to watch him play. I cannot get over how good he is. it is to watch him play, and he has not missed a step whatsoever like he is patrick kane he's fun to watch he's so elusive with the puck that it throws pretty much i'm almost certain both teams off like you're a, you're a defender you you give him like there's so much respect for him in the game with his hands and his playmaking abilities that defensive, like, teams defending against him, they give him so much space because if you pressure him too much, he's going to make a play to the defense or somebody that... You can't pressure him too much because he's got his eye on somebody. If you pressure him enough, that gives him the outlet and a space to make that pass. If you don't pressure him, and but if you don't pressure him, he can make room and find people in any way, shape, or form, and he'll make the smart play or a fantastic play or whatever it is. And he is just... It's fantastic to watch him play. And him being a Detroit Red Wings fantastic. I never thought I'd say that in my life, but it is. Um and on top of that, Alex DeBrinkett, he while he's been in a goal slump as of late, uh I mean he put a decent dent in that in St. Louis, but he's been a really good playmaker as of late. Um He's got seven points in his last five games as well but all of those came in the last four games and all of those came in three games realistically uh he had an assist in calgary an assist in seattle and then in st louis the other night he had two goals one assist for three points but he's still been playing really well uh i like there's a lot of people mainly sens fans who just let this 5 foot 8 man live rent free in their heads the entire time that are just saying oh this is the cat we know he can't score and stuff like that and it's like dude really you're it's it's wild like detroit it's it's it goes without saying like detroit doesn't this year doesn't need him to score constantly to be winning cuz we've been winning they've been winning without him scoring constantly but hopefully this two goal game uh, is a sign of him getting back on his horse and going because if that's the case and he and patrick kane keep lighting it up and he and patrick kane continue that chemistry this team that's going to be dangerous for a lot of teams and that's going to be a first line you don't want to mess with in the playoffs really um offensively at least you're going to have to put some mean motherfuckers behind them but other than that it's offensively that's going to be a first line of him you put him Larkin and Debrant and Kane together, it's gonna be a first line you don't want to deal with. Even if you put Comfort there, like it's pretty interesting there. Um and so then uh some more storylines. Cider and Raymond, they are they are playing, like wow, are they playing? Uh, Raymond in his last five games has two goals, four points, six assists. Cider in his last five games has one goal, three assists for four points. Now, that may not be incredible to a lot of people as far as Cider goes, but you gotta remember Cider is still getting the majority of the toughest minutes in the entire league. He is still getting the toughest minutes in the entire league. He is going out against McKinnon. He is going out against Kucherov. He is going out against McDavid. He is going out against Matthews. He's going out against Barkov. He's going out against the toughest competition, yet he's still putting up almost a point per game so far. And it's looking like he's starting. His development is growing. He's starting to look more and more like the most sider we know he is. And he's starting to learn how to balance that offense and defense. He's looking like what he is, what he should be. And Raymond Lucas Raymond, he is just on fucking fire. Like, Oh my God, is he becoming a good playmaker? Like I said, a one or two podcasts ago that, uh, Lucas Raymond has the potential to be at least David, has the potential to be uh, David Perron. And I think that is the bare minimum that Raymond could be. He is being better at protecting the puck. He has been better at playmaking. He is being, he is so, his development is becoming more of a playmaker than a goal scorer, which he was drafted to be a goal scorer, which he still very much is. He's got 16 goals in the season so far. But at the same time, He is building himself up to be like the next Patrick Kane. It looks like he's doing fantastically in his uh, last five games. Like I said, he's got two goals, 4.6 assists. Those came in three separate games. He had two assists last night against St. Louis, a goal and assist against uh, Seattle and a goal and assist against Calgary. And yeah, I can't, I can't be upset with how he's been playing. He's been playing fantastically him and Sider. So the, the two kids are really, really heating things up and really making a good reason why they are stars. Um, and it's starting to become widely known amongst people who criticize their draft uh, spots in that Cider and Raymond are becoming stars from their draft class. Raymond, I believe, was the second star. I think he was taking the same year Stutzla was. Um, and then Cider is becoming a star defenseman as well a lot of people keep don't seem to understand that these guys they're 21 and 22 respectively or 21 and 23 22 23 I don't know how old cider is I think he's 22 though um so they're children like they are I say that as a 25 year old but they are still developing the, at the pro level and both of them are going to get paid this year like Raymond's on pace for like 70 something points. Uh, Sider's on pace for, I think, fifty something points if he keeps this up. I'll have to double check that. Um, do do go to here. There we are. Uh, Sider is currently on point on pace. He's on pace for forty five points, but I think that'll go up as the season goes on. A lot of that is indicative of the start to his season where he didn't put up a lot of points, uh, and he was really just a defensive guy, which he still is. He's still very much a defenseman, but he's starting to build up that offense, build up the offensive confidence, and that's that's great. Um, and then another guy who I think is having a really under-the-radar stretch of games here is JT Comferk. Uh, JT Confer, he was out for a little while in December when, uh, you know, like Larkin and like when Larkin was out and Perron was out and all them. uh, He was out around the same time and you could tell it really affected the team, but he's been having a pretty good stretch of games as of late. He's got four points in the last five games, three goals, one assist, and he is still a power. He's still a penalty kill specialist. Uh, he is incredible on the penalty kill. Him and cop make up one of the best penalty kill units in the league, I'm certain. I don't know the actual stats, but he and Cop are two of the best penalty killers. They they are the the two best penalty killers on the team, and, uh, they are definitely two of the best penalty killers in the league, and, you know, Rasmussen and Larkin are up there with them, too, so, um, but yeah, it's, uh... It's good to see that J.T. Confer is getting is coming back to form because after his injury, when he came back, he was slow getting back into things. But it looks like he's starting to heat up now, and he's looking to be back on pace, back on that fifty-point pace uh, that we all all desperately hoped that he would, you know, get back onto when we signed him to that five when Steve Eiserman signed him to that five mil contract. Oh, yeah, he's on pace for 51 points, 21 goals, 30 assists. I think that'll eventually go up. But as long as he doesn't get injured, that contract will start to look really good. And like I said, with the cap rising and stuff like that, it's it's not going to be as bad as people immediately made it out to be. But a lot of those people also immediately thought Detroit was going to be seventh in the Atlantic. And look at what happened there, you fucks. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that's just some that's just some storylines I wanted to talk about. Uh, Detroit's current uh, power playoff picture. Uh, Tampa Bay just beat. I believe they just beat. Uh, don't know who they just played, but they just won. So they are currently ahead of Detroit by one point. Um, but if Detroit beats Chicago tonight, they'll be back above them. Uh, the East is getting tight, y'all. But as it stands right now Detroit is currently uh eight, no 6 points ahead of New Jersey, 7 points ahead of Washington, 8 points ahead of the Islanders, 10 points ahead of Pittsburgh, 12 points ahead of Buffalo. Uh I think that's I'm trying to do the math in my head. That's like 17 points or something like that ahead of Ottawa. They they're ahead of by of these a lot of teams. So the, they've got more of a cushion to Uh, keep their playoff run going. They just got to keep winning. They've got to do at least in my, from what I've seen, they got to at least go one in one, one win, one loss. And that's whoops, through something on my keyboard. Uh, but they gotta do at least one win, one loss. Uh, that's how they gotta play the rest of the season. But if they're gonna go on another win streak, I wouldn't be upset about it. They're currently on a four-game win streak, so let's make it five tonight. How about that? Uh get us closer to Toronto, who just decided to be good again, I guess. Really Austin Matthews decided to be good again, but they uh Yeah, they are on a fucking here. So that's uh, the Detroit Red Wings weekly news, I guess, with some storylines. Uh, we got the Bergeron trade rumors that are still going around. There's a lot of things that have come out about this, though, as of late. Not a lot, but more, uh, more bigger things, I guess. Uh, basically, what has happened is it was rumored and reported that uh, I think it was Elliot Friedman who reported. It, I can't remember who said that Bergeron refused a contract extension when offered by the Red Wings, which kind of goes hand in hand with him saying that he, be- with the reports coming out of him saying he believes he should be in the NHL and that he believes he should, you know, that he should be there. He believes he doesn't belong in the AHL in the Grand Rapids. And obviously I agree with him. Uh, but if he's refusing a contract extension, because he's an RFA at the end of the year. So if he's refusing a contract extension that means Detroit has got to look for a trade for him, or they're just going to leave him there until, I think, what is it, January 1st or something like that, where if you're not qualified or something like that, then you're UFA, and then any team can sign you. So if this is true, I do believe that Detroit's going to be trading for him, and one of the big names that a lot of people are talking about trading Bear Green and probably a pick or something for her. Is Jake Gensel from Pittsburgh? Uh, Jake Gensel is he's injured right now, but he's a solid top six guy with good scoring. His defense leaves a little bit to be desired, but that's why you put him with a Dylan Larkin or a JT Comfer or even an Andrew Cop. Uh, any of these go- defensive forwards can, two way forwards, defensive forwards, whatever you want to call them, they can pick up that slack. Um, now, Detroit doesn't have a lot in terms of 200-foot 200 200 forwards in their top six. They've really just got Dylan Larkin and J.T. Comfer, although in the last few games they've had Michael Rasmussen, too, and if worse comes to worse, you can throw Joe Valeno up there, but they've got some—those two, just Larkin and Comfer alone can make up for a lot of defense. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens, especially as the trade deadline comes around, because a lot of people, including me, don't think Detroit needs to make any moves. But if you're going to move Bargrin for somebody like Jake Gensel, then you're going to have to move somebody from the actual roster out or waive them. And... There's only a few people on the team that I could see being waived, and they're for contrived reasons. Uh, Klim Coston is one just because he's cheap and also doesn't contribute a lot offensively. He's defensive primarily uh, and a fourth liner, but he's also the grit of the team. Not the grit, but he's, for lack of a better word, the enforcer of the team, uh, who ironically hasn't really played very often anymore since Fabry came back and Kane. Uh, but so you've got Costin. uh, I could see them trying to move Fabry because he's got, I think it's a $4 million contract, $5 million contract, something like that. I think it's 4 million, uh, for th- through next year. I think next year is the last one of his contracts. So I could see them moving him to bring in Gensel. Uh, there's always the potential for Piran, but I can't see the moving Quran. I don't think you can wave anybody on this team, honestly. Like, if you wave anybody on this team, then you're going to lose them to for nothing. It's just a fact. This team's performed way too well, and a lot of these guys have performed far above their, their ceilings that, like, they're playing far above their normal. They are overplaying, not overplaying but they're not playing what they how they normally do and a team's going to look at that and be like I can get this guy for free? Fuck yeah, I'm going to take him and then, you know, Clem Costin is an Anaheim duck or some shit like that all of a sudden. So, it's going to be interesting to see how Eiserman and the team navigate this. But at the end of the day, I it's it's still too nobody knows anything. Like, nobody knows anything that Eisenman doesn't want them to know. And that is just how he's always run his organizations. So, I'm interested in what's going to happen. I know everybody else is as well. Uh, But as while we're talking about Bergeron, we may as well jump into our prospect report. Yes, a flawless segue there, right? Um our progress. Our, our progress report. Our prospect report this week is on Trey Augustine. As a lot of you guys know, Trey Augustine was drafted in the 2023 draft in the second round, 41st overall. He is a six foot one goaltender. Plays for MSU this year. He's 19 years old. He won gold at the World Junior Championship uh, this year, and he has looked fan fucking tastic. Oh my god, is he good? A lot of people said. That he is a Wallander light, essentially. I think he might be better than, not Wallander, fucking Wallstead. And I think he might be better than Wallstead. But a lot of people criticize him for his height. Six foot one isn't tall for a goaltender. Most of your goaltenders now are six foot three and up. So, but the, the difference with him is he is incredibly technically sound. Um... As is written here on Elite Prospects, because that's what I use for everything at this point. Uh, Augustine has an, an excellent technical foundation. Whether you're talking about his post-sealing ability, hinge as he rotates, or strength as he pushes off the post, he ranks high in every regard. Augustine is also a wizard on jam plays with below the goal puck line goal line puck movement. He also has incredible net awareness, the ability to always know where the frame of the net is in his spot when retreating back to the post. So basically saying, this kid doesn't need – he's he, hes just got eyes everywhere, essentially. He is a robot. Um, No, he is just – fantastic on holding down the crease and keeping pucks out of the net, which is what you want from a goaltender. And Augustine is what a lot of people called the Kosa replacement, but Kosa's been performing really well too. He's got uh, like a 919, save percentage or something like that uh, coming out of the new year. And so Trey Augustine is looking, but he, he, Trey Augustine's giving Kosa something to compete for because when Kosa was first drafted, he didn't have anybody competing with him. You know, I mean, Guylander was competing with him for a little bit, but Guylander seems to have taken a back seat to Kosa and Trey Augustine now, which sucks because I really liked Guylander and I do think that there's a place for him in the league, but it's just a matter of anybody chooses him. Uh, but. Yeah, Augustine. He's currently in twenty nine games played in the NCAA with Michigan State. Uh, he ha- holds a nine seventeen a nine fifteen save percentage. My bad, with a two ninety five goals against average. He's had three shutouts, and his current record is nineteen seven and two. And then, like I said, with the USA uh, World Junior Championships, uh, he played four games with a one seventy five goals against average and a nine thirty six save percentage. He was a fucking superstar goaltender in the World Juniors, and I don't know why, I mean, I guess I know why, because he didn't play a lot of the games, which was wild, like, he's, he got you guys, like, he he played fantastically in the World Juniors last year, too, and he got two more games that, that year, so, granted, he only netted a 891 save percentage, but they still won gold, so I don't want to fucking hear it, Um but yeah, I'm excited for Trey Augustine, He is looking like somebody who could easily overtake Kosa for that new goaltender job. And if he is Detroit's goaltender in the future, I wouldn't be mad. I would not be upset whatsoever. Um, I love Kosa. I do. But his development has, I mean, it's not stalled by any means, but it's definitely taken longer than I think people want it to, which a lot of people don't understand. Goaltenders take so much time to develop like most of them don't come into the league until they're 24, 25, 26 years old like until they're in their prime. Um 26 maybe a bit of a stretch, but a lot of these guys don't come in until they're like mid 20s. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see what happens cuz there's there's every reason in the world to believe that Kosa could just fall off a cliff. Like it is it is very possible. Goaltenders are voodoo, and we've seen that this year with goaltending in general. Guys like Vasilevsky, Ilya Sorokin, uh, Igor Shesterkin, Roman Yossi, not Yossi, the fuck, Yossi Soros, uh, Andrew Gibson, they are all really incredible Vesna candidate goaltenders, but they are not playing like it. Um, hell, in the case of three of the four that I mentioned, they are. are four of the five I don't know if Soros has ever won the Vesna I feel like he has but in, in the case of at least three of the five I've mentioned they have won the Vesna um so yeah it's going to be uh, if uh if Trey Augustine or Kenneth Augustine the third. yeah that's his actual name uh he is if he pans out to be as good as he is now there is no doubt in my mind that he overtakes Kosa um but Kosa could also, like I said, very well. As as obvious, as simple as it is for him to fall off a cliff, it is also possible for him to jump to the moon. It is goalies. Goalies are voodoo. Goalies are so unpredictable that, like, there's a reason that you don't really take them in the first round. Like most of your goaltenders are taken in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh rounds. So. Like I said, interested to see what's going to happen. Uh, he doesn't have a contract with Detroit yet, although I do believe that in the next year or two he probably will. Detroit's got like four or five years to sign him since he's playing in the NCAA or something like that. So I think in the next year or two he'll probably have a Detroit Red Wings contract um, because at that point, Cosa will hopefully be up as a regular in uh, Detroit, whether it's as the starter or as the backup. I, I'm i almost certain he'll be the backup for a little while before he gets the starts, um, but yeah, I'm excited to see what Trey Augustine does, and I'm going to ignore the fact that he was born in 2005. So uh, that's going to be all for our Detroit Red Wings talk to de- talks today, because we have some other news to talk about, uh, and that being the Lions. The Lions have officially released Tracy Walker. They did that a few days back. Um, he is, he was a safety for Detroit for the last like two or three years, and it's not a big loss realistically. Um he was good in the uh he was serviceable enough to get done what needed to be done, but at the end of the day, he's not a guy that I think you can go to the Super Bowl with. Um, at least Detroit was willing to go to the Super Bowl with, and you can find somebody better than him, one hundred percent. So it's not a massive loss for Detroit, but it does free up five point five million dollars in cap space for them to bring somebody in to replace him or re-sign Jared Goff. Who knows? Um but yeah, I thought I should bring that up just because it is a fairly big. It's the biggest thing we've heard out of the Lions since the NCAA championship game that we won't talk about. Um, but other than that, we've got some Detroit Tigers news as well. Uh, spring training games began on Saturday, and they didn't look good against the Yankees. They lost uh, to they lost to the Yankees twenty two to ten. So that's not cool, but today they played Tampa Bay and they tied them nine to nine. One thing I could say about this team is they look better than last year, which I know isn't a very high bar to set. But with how weak their division is, I could see them contesting with with the uh, other teams, which is likely just going to be Minnesota to win the division and potentially make the playoffs. I can see that happening, but their division is so weak that it's not going to really matter if they make the playoffs. Cause they're just going to get fucked up likely. Um, but yeah, that's the, the Tigers look good better than last year. Uh, the lions team is already mixing things up and the red wings are killing it right now. The red wings are the new sports team for Detroit right now. And it is so good that they are doing well. Um, I'm interested to see where everything else is going to go. Obviously, we've got to wait quite a wh- quite a while for uh the Lions to be back into the back in, but baseball's back, which is good for most people. Um you know, it is I guess America's most popular sport, I don't know. But yeah, that's really all I have for you guys today. Uh it went a bit quick, but I kind of anticipated it would go pretty quick, even though I have so many notes written. I kind of just breezed through them, which is indicative of me. But regardless, I want to thank you guys so much for tuning in. This podcast has been a bigger success than I thought it would be. Now, obviously, I'm still small and I'm still very much getting used to it, as you guys could tell from a lot of my editing. But at the same time, it is definitely. Going better than I expected it to right off the bat. I wasn't expecting this much support for it right off the bat. And I definitely wasn't expecting it to be something that I would look for. Like, I can't say it's not something I expected to look forward to be doing. Uh, but at the same time, it's, it's not something I expected to be doing regularly. It is definitely something I expected because this is just how I've been operating for a while now. I've expected it to be something that I do consistently for a month, month and a half, two months, and then I start petering out and you know, it it just gets worse and worse until I just give up on it entirely. ADHD brain does that to you, but I'm genuinely having fun with this and the support only helps. So once again, thank you guys so much for tuning in to the Red, Orange, and or Blue podcast. You can follow me, the Maxinadian, at the underscore Maxinadian on Twitter. Uh, I am also on YouTube at the Maxinadian. The podcast now has its own channel, Red, Orange, and or Blue podcast. And you can follow it on Twitter, X, whatever the fuck you want to call that garbage fire of a website. I love it. Uh, at Pod. And that's where I do all of the polls for our prospect reports. You guys get to vote on who the prospect report is going to be for and next week. I'll put that poll up. I usually put it up on Fridays around whatever time I get up. And, uh, yeah. So, once again, thank you so much for listening. My name is The Canadian and I will see you guys in the next episode. Adios. <laughs> to my party we're just getting started a life is a dream or a nightmare scarring hand me a drink because i think i'm going all in get me a drink who can catch me